Hi, everybody. Episode 14 here. 1-4. Trying to think of a famous 14. Right now, I guess you'd say it's Todd Hazelwood in the Supercars Championship with Brad Jones Racing. I'm sure there will be, Dimitri Camino, a pile of people jumping on me with famous number 14s from World Motorsport. AJ Foyt is another one that springs to mind. Probably, let's bump Todd for AJ. Anyway, this is the Motor Focus Model Podcast, episode 14. We've got a lot to talk about in models. We've New arrivals, pre-orders, some questions, and we're going to continue our look at the second-hand market of Bathurst 1000 winning cars from 1991 to 2000. But it's a good morning to you, Dimitri. Uh, plenty going on in the world of motorsport, even though it's the end of November, start of December. Yeah, hi, Noons. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a busy period for us for the last fortnight, and uh, I'm certainly missing the supercars already. Uh, but, you know, the... Uh, I think there's only one or two seats left to fill for next year's grid, so looking forward to seeing those announcements. There's plenty of wheeling and dealing going on behind the scenes, and I think this will probably be the biggest silly season swap around that we've seen in a long time. Um, very few drivers are going to be driving the very same cars with the very same colours that you saw them leave uh, Bathurst in October with. So looking forward to seeing what unfolds there. As always in model world, there's lots going on. And let's dive straight into it because there's some new arrivals at Motor Focus HQ. I don't mean new staff or anything. No one's had a baby, have they, as far as I know? No, well, Lisa is on holidays. (laughs) What I meant was just arrived in stock. And if we've talked in the last few weeks about Bathurst 1000 winning cars. Uh, This is really exciting. The 1965 Bathurst winning GT500 Cortina, the Barry Seaton and Mitch Bosworth drove to victory. Uh, it's a classic collectible. It's a 118 scale model. Uh, it's just arrived in stock. Um, and it's not the only 118th. The rusty French Bob Morris, John Sands, 83 Bathurst cars arrived. But tell me a bit more about that uh, Cortina because, of course, famously, uh, that was Glenn Seaton's first Bathurst. As a, I think he was five months old at the time. There's a photo somewhere of him in the new book, uh, his autobiography that you can get from the Motor Focus website, of him with the winner's sash of the Armstrong 500 at the very ripe age of, of five months. But for a lot of people, this car clicks in a missing part of their Bathurst winner's collection. Yeah, it sure does, Noons. It's a, it's a very impressive little model uh, following on from the, the 1964 uh, winner that Classics have done. Um, I was pretty keen to get this model out of the box and, and compare it. And I was really surprised at how many differences there are between the 64 and 65. So... Things like the the grill's completely different. Uh, they've added front brake ducts. They've uh, the, the interior is different. The dash is completely different. Way more gauges, uh, external fuel fillers, uh, some badging and some air vents and things like that that were different on the cars as well. But the the biggest surprise for me was only one thousand five hundred units made. So I would get your skates on if you haven't got one of these. Grab one because it's it's certainly going to increase in value. Uh, rapidly with with that sort of quantity made. We've looked at the Bathurst winning cars for the last three or four episodes and cars made in that volume um, are pretty rare for Bathurst winning cars. So that's definitely a reason why, even if you're not a Cortina fan or a Ford fan, if you're you're collecting the Bathurst winners and you think, nah, I'll get in down the track, it'll be right, they'll make enough of them. 1,500 is definitely not a number to be playing that strategy with. So... Uh, yeah, get in, get on it and, and sort it out. Uh, the other car I mentioned is the John Sands Commodore. Of course, Rusty French these days is a co-owner of Tickford Racing. Uh, but he and Bob Morris shared 
that John Sands VH Commodore at Bathurst in 83. In fact, they, they weren't actually going to do that. That wasn't the plan. Uh, Alan Brown, remember him from the Recard team? Uh, he'd finished second with Alan Grice the year before. He was driving with Rusty French, but um, couldn't come up to speed. And Bob Morris, who was lurking around with his helmet, was there at the track. And they said, hey, how about you have a go? Uh, having not really driven very much for, I think, pretty much nearly 12 months. And he put the car in the shootout, Hardy's Heroes, as it was called then. Beautiful looking car, that John Sands Commodore from 83. Uh, like all of Rusty's cars, looked the part. And, and that one was no exception. Yeah, well, I'm going to uh, keep taking my helmet to the track when, when we're at the uh, supercars. But, you know, pretty optimistic for someone to come and uh, throw me in the car. But anyway, but yeah, really cool model, a great looking car, um, low, low run of only 400. So most places are already sold out of that one. So uh, if you've got one, great. If you haven't, you, you, you're going to start hunting pretty quick. It's the latest flow on in classic collectibles using that, uh, VH Commodore Group C car. They've done the STP car from that same Bathurst race of Alan Grice and Colin Bond that finished third. Uh, have you got a sniff that there's a few more that they're going to use that mould to create over the upcoming years? Uh, certainly nothing in the system right now, but uh, what Classics are certainly doing is utilising some of their existing moulds uh, and doing grouping together some low runs and the factory can make down to 400. So the next group of uh, 400 run cars we'll see are some uh, four-door Tiranas. And then next year, we're going to see probably some low runs in the in the two-door A9X Tiranas. So we'll see some good variety uh, coming through. Cool. We like it. Uh, one other new arrival from Classic Collectibles. All of these are in 118 scale, we should point out, too. Uh, a Holden HJ Monaro GDS in the absinthe yellow. That will be... A real standout. And if you're a Holden fan, there's some more good news because Bianti have been busy as well. They've punched out two new, uh, a Tirana and a Monaro as well. But they've got some uh, pretty cool colours on these bad boys. Yeah, so just to cover off the, the HJ by uh, Classic Collectibles, it is a previous mould in a new in a new colour, but very good model. Uh, Bianti have uh, finally been able to get some product out of auto art in the street machine cars they're doing. So the LX Tirana, the SLR 5000 that they're referring to as Menace and it's a solar flare metallic yellow with black. Uh, so it's got sort of a retrofitted um, modern day sort of motor in that one. It's pretty cool. And the other one that's just come along is the Holden HQ Monaro street machine. I think they say this violetance. It's kind of a, a play on Violet and Violent, you know, it's pretty cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, great looking car, big blown engine, everything we, we dreamt of when we were young fellas. So they've been super popular, these street machine cars, and we're seeing uh, them selling out very quickly and increasing in value as well. So uh, they're, they're worth uh, checking out if you haven't seen them. Plenty of good news for Holden fans now. Ford fans, never fear. We're here with some good news for you. And uh, just announced on uh, pre-order this week, the anti or last week, in fact, the anti-model cars uh, confirming what I think is a, a very important car, but it's very much off the radar. Although um, ANZ Ford Sierra is not uh, new to people. They remember Alan Moffat racing those cars and Klaus Niedzwitz, the German at, at Bathurst and the like. But the final race that Alan competed in as a full-time driver on his 50th birthday, 
He won the Fuji 500 uh, in Japan in 1989 with Klaus Niedzwitz in one of the ANZ Sierras. Different race number on the car. Remember, he ran number nine and ten on his cars in Australia. But uh, off the top of my head, I was think it was it was 39 was the, the the race number on that car that weekend. So there are some minor uh, sticker differences between how the car ran at Bathurst uh, earlier that year uh, and how it ran in Japan. But it's it's a very important car because it is the the final full stop on. Alan Moffat's full-time professional racing career. And he didn't do the big national tour or the big announcement or the big press release. He just kind of said, well, I'm not going to be a race driver beyond 50. Won a race on his 50th birthday and called time and just never really announced it. Just stopped driving. So uh, uh, it's a cool car and it also forms uh, part of an end. Obviously, Alan um, is in a home in Melbourne with dementia. He's in a great place in terms of his, his care and his support structures around him. But, uh, Obviously, being able to do things like uh, autographed runs of model car certificates and other memorabilia projects that he's been very heavily involved in over the past is just at the point now where it's it's hard to do that. So it's uh, from my understanding, and you can probably put the the full stop on all this, that this will be the last Alan Moffat collection car from Bianti with a signed Alan Moffat certificate. Is that the case? And then after that, they'll continue the collection, but there won't be the, the signed certs. Yeah, that's correct, Noons. Um, as you say, with his his health situation, uh, they're calling time on uh, asking Alan to sign a stack of uh, certificates. So this will be the last one that comes signed. Um, they will, like you say, continue other Moffat cars in the future. But uh, I, I think it's a great model in the way that it it is a bookend uh, for for Alan's career. Uh, it's it's may it'll be produced out of the apex um, mold, so it's a very good die cast, full opening parts, excellent detail model, and I, I'd expect the uh, the run not to be too big on that one. But um, so definitely uh, support that that model and and pre-order it uh, when you can. Uh, it's it's up for pre-order now, and um, we can we can lock our numbers in and and make sure people get that model. Of course, you can get in touch with Dimitri and the team at motorfocus.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram. You are on the on the gram, as it were. Are, are you are you the one hovering over that account all the time, or do you stay away and let the, the guys at work do it? Yeah, I'll let Lisa take control of the social media side of things. Um, I'm struggling through it uh, the last couple of weeks while she's on holiday so uh, apologies <laughs> to anyone if they're not getting a a, uh, a response as quick as we we would normally do dim's still trying to find the on switch for the computer <laughs> but i'm sure he'll get there uh, at some stage soon but we've, we've said it all year we will say it again there is a reason why we bang on about pre-ordering put down your commitment now and don't complain that you miss out on the model car later on uh you're not being asked to put down money you know you're not being asked to put down hundreds of dollars just put down your commitment and then they'll make enough of them so as you don't miss out later on down the track. So that is an important one for the bookend of the Alan Moffat collection. Uh, questions, as always, they're rolling in. We've uh, got a handful this week. A uh, good one here from Rob Thompson, who's a, a close friend of ours who listens to the show. Um, he says, with the Holden brand now officially gone from both supercars and Australia, that's in the motoring market, how will future Holden models be produced? He says there's still a lot of model cars of Holden's that still need to be made. Will they be still branded an official Holden licensed product? Will Bianti, Classics, etc., uh, still be able to produce the earlier model Holden cars in the future? Does anything change in terms of what we've had over the many years of, of model cars? I, 
I would get the impression not, but what's what's the story? Yeah, I agree, Noons. I, I don't think much is going to change at all. Uh, you know, Holden probably still exists in some sort of way, and and there is a company that has the 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 responsibility to do licensing, and I believe that will continue on in the future. So I don't think there's going to be much changes at all. Like, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether they need licensing to do cars of certain age as it is, but um, most of the time they do the, they do the right thing and they, they go through the right channels to produce the, the models with the, the proper logos and things like that. Um, as far as what supercars are going to do, well, again, I, a lot of the deals are done with the teams and, and supercars side of things so we'll still still see the models there won't be a problem with that at all no i'd agree with you it is a a whole other discussion probably a series of episodes around licensing and rights we've touched on a little bit over the course of the podcast this year to give people a bit more of an insight but it's a whole nother sphere that we would need a good hour uh times five to be able to go through the who's what when where why's and how's of licensing and rights and what's official and what's done right and what's yeah. not and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, Rob, small answer, not much would change. Uh, Innes is a regular listener. Uh, he wants to know, will there be more Wellington 500 race cars produced? This is an interesting question. Yeah, it is. Uh, I can't definitively answer it, but all I can say is that there's a good chance that that'll happen because, uh, again, there's popular drivers that... Uh, raced over there there's popular cars that raced over there uh some of them are completely different some of them have subtle differences so when our uh, our our model makers are looking for models that they can utilize their, their existing molds well that's the perfect place to look and i'd assume they've all got a copy of the wellington 500 race book now <laughs> and uh they can certainly go go uh you know, planning some more cars from from that book, yeah. That is the Wellington Street Race uh, history book that's just come out in the last couple of months. There's some stock through uh, motorfocus.com.au and it documents the whole race from the mid-80s when it started to the mid-90s when it died. And um, as you said, a lot of the Australian teams and drivers would go over there. Initially, it was at the start of a calendar year and then in 87, because the World Touring Car Championship was coming, they had two events in the one year. They had the January and then they had it in, I think it was November. And then after that, it was in November every year uh, to round out the season. So uh, your point before is right. A lot of Australian teams ran there, but their cars were different because they had local sponsors or they had local additional sponsors. Uh, deliveries were marked, well, mainly markedly different from how the cars would have appeared a few weeks earlier at Bathurst or Sandown. Or, I mean, I remember Dick Johnson's shell cars uh, running with Fletcher Steel livery, same base red and same gold wheels, but completely different signage. So there's probably a really good opportunity there to do some cars that have that that detail that's different that makes them stand out from the regular championship car or Bathurst car or the Sandown 500 car or or whatever it might be. I think the Brock Moffat 86 win, uh, winner has been done. Um, yeah. The Dick Johnson JPS Mustang that finished second that year uh, there's a few different versions that could be rolled out from a lot of familiar teams that we know have cachet with collectors, whether it's the, the Brocks, the Holden dealer teams, Johnson, uh, the Nissan team, Fred Gibson, and, and that sort of thing. So there's 
plenty of opportunity to do plenty of those sorts of things. Did so, they uh, give out a trophy there? Oh, hell yeah. They would have given out trophies. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Oh, wow. Dion's, Dion's Dion. running around ready to Get go. on to it, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, they, I can't remember what the trophy was every year. I think it changed. But uh, uh, I have to look up the photos in the, uh, the Wellington Street Race book to remember exactly what was what. Um, Paul Tui's got our last question. He's heading to Queensland for holidays over Christmas. I'm not sure where Paul's coming from, but we know where he's going. He's going to Queensland. And he says he's hoping to visit the Motor Focus store, but will you guys be open or will you be closed? This is a good question to ask. You'd hate to drive all the way to Queensland, knock on the door in Stockwell Place, Archerfield, and no one be there. Yeah, well, what a great place to come for a holiday. So uh, well done, Paul, on, on choosing our great state. Uh, the good news is, yes, we will be open through the Christmas period. Um, obviously, just closed public holidays, and uh, Lisa's going to be uh, the one looking after the store in that period. Or I might sort of sneak in and out a bit. And uh, normally, we go to Summonats for for that event, but that's been postponed to March by the looks of it now. So, yes, we will be there, and we look forward to seeing Paul and anyone else that uh, wants to pop on in during that period. So you'll be closed Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Day. What about Christmas Eve? Uh, yeah, we're open Christmas Eve if it's a working day. I, I should yeah, look at the calendar. It is, it is, it is. It is. We'll, we'll be there then. You haven't got out of it that easy. Good try, good try. <laughs> uh, and remember too, if you are on the mission for Christmas presents, obviously the, the way of the world this year has been very difficult with COVID-19. Uh, and Australia Post and the Postal Services and the courier delivery companies have been absolutely smashed. So um, if you are thinking of ordering a model car or something from Motor Focus or indeed anyone before uh, Christmas, get in now because it's going to take some time to get to you. I think Australia Post is saying December 11, 12 is kind of the cutoff for anything that you uh, need to get ordered that you want to make sure you get by Christmas. So the earlier, the better to give a little bit more time. Um, Second-hand market's been a really popular part of our Motor Focus Model podcast this year. We're going to roll into Bathurst 1991 to 2000. Um, we haven't got any uh, pricing on the Super Touring winners because they haven't been made. So that was way easier. That's the easiest part of the segment that I'll get to deal with. But what we're finding or what I find here with the list here, Dim, a lot of these cars have been done by Bianti and Classic or Classic and Bianti, depending on on the order, or in the case of the GDRs, and we'll cover them first, um, two different Bianti versions. So 1991, Jim Richards, Mark Scaife, they won again the following year, but 91 was the year of the uh, the white, blue and red factory car with a very minimal uh, sponsorship on it. Of course, Nissan was paying the majority of the bills. Two versions there, but the prices are still pretty comparative between the two. They both have come via Bianti. You might want to explain how that is. Yeah, for sure, Nunes. It's um, so in, initially the Bianchi produced the '91 and the '92 Bathurst winners through the Kyosho brand, and uh, the '91 model, 4,626 um, models were done. Many, many, many years later, Auto Art also produced an R32 Skyline, being such a popular race car all over the world. And uh, they did a run. They didn't have a certificate, uh, but uh, they would have picked a number and, and made to that, but there's no specific run on that. 
Uh, I, I've sort of put the price the same, uh, sort of three fifty to four hundred dollars for the ninety-one winner, and I say that because the, you know the the original Kyosho model is very nice, but the Auto Art one is probably a little nicer. The advantage of the first one it comes with a numbered certificate if if that means a little more to people the 92 skyline same like i said same scenario a kyosho version originally done 4020 examples were made and then later on the the auto art one came out as well so 450 to 500 mark for the 92 car now in the early days before the Auto Art one came along. Both of these models probably sold for a couple of hundred dollars more, but we saw that you know coming down to the price, and now we're seeing them rising back up again. Which is a bit unique because you see that a lot of the times where there's two versions of the one car, particularly from mainly from different companies, uh, that we've seen in previous episodes that it hasn't hurt the prices of some of them as much as it has of, of others. I mean, I remember. I'm pretty sure I bought a 91 GDR going back nearly 10 years for about $300. Uh, that was the Kyosho version. It was the first version. It wasn't the auto art one. So, um, I'll, yeah, clearly the second version has played its part in keeping that, that price down. But one that hasn't, this is a, I'm not shocked by this, but when I, I read it, it leapt off the page. 1993, so we changed the rules, went away from the Group A international formula to the homegrown V8 5-litre what became V8 supercars. It wasn't at that stage. Larry Perkins, Greg Hansford, popular win in the Castrol VP Commodore, the last Bathurst win for a Holden engine Commodore. Of course, after that, they were all uh, Chevs, but Larry stuck with the Holden, albeit a, uh, a version that he worked very closely with Holden on um, some of the elements, uh, technical elements of that engine. 1700 only made by classic collectibles, which is a a low run for a Bathurst winning car and a car that was made quite a few years after the actual race win. So why only 1700? It's staggering, but that's helping the price. Yeah. Look, I think we've got to jump forward to in, in the years to, to work this one out. And uh, classics originally made the 95 and the 97 cars, which were very similar, similar sort of livery. And uh, those ones sold pretty well, but, they sort of overproduced and, and in the marketplace, they sort of sat at release price for quite some time. And I think when the 93 car came along and was made, it was one of those scenarios where not everyone that collected Bathurst winners bought it. They may have thought, well, it looks sort of similar to the other ones I've got in my cabinet. And I think that's affected the, the pre-order back then. And uh, when only 1700 were produced, that model sold out very quickly. And uh, as you can, as you see, you know, the, the price on them have certainly uh, rocketed up more than the other years of uh, the Larry Perkins win. So I think $700 is, is a fair price for the 1993 uh, VP Commodore. I might move mine to a higher ledge in my cabinet to get it away from anybody who decides to maybe sample it. Anyway... 1994, Ford fight back. Dick Johnson, John Bauer with a win in the Shell FAI Falcon EB. Uh, we'd won about that. You will not see any in... Here's, here's a tidbit for you, Tim. You won't see any in-car vision from the closing stages of that race from that car when Bauer was fighting with Craig Lowndes because the in-car camera of the time 
went burko, lost its mind and just kept doing 360s in the passenger seat next to John Bauer. So there's no vision of that famous passing move of Craig Lowndes around the outside or him passing him back or any of that stuff because the camera had had an absolute meltdown and was do, doing donuts in the front passenger seat. So a piece of Bathurst history that was kind of lost there. But 3,500 produced, certificates signed by both Dick and John, and that's helping with clearly the... Although that's about double the run of the Perkins car, there is huge cachet and love for Dick Johnson out there, and that's always reflected in the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Very popular win. Uh, two great drivers, and uh, like you say, 3,500 produced, and uh, I think a fair value for that model right now is about $750. Nice. So it's probably the clubhouse leader of today's uh, selection of cars from the 90s through to 2000. So good news if you're a a DJR fan with one of those. Um, We covered 95 before. So Perkins and Ingle, Castrol VR, of course, sadly, Greg Hansel was killed at the start of that year at Phillip Island. So Russell was uh, signed by Larry. And of course, that started a a sort of a seven or so year run between those guys. Uh, I can see what you mean about overproduction. Four and a half thousand they made of that car. I mean, it was, a, it was a popular win on the day, last to first, flat tyre on the first lap. Larry's got a lot of love out there from the fan base, and I think that's got even further and higher and better as the years have gone on since he's stopped driving and stopped running a team and stopped being, I guess, a, a motor racing public property. You don't see him at the track very much anymore. Um, but as you say, that was a, a big amount, and they tuned that up a bit later on. So. Um, about half the price of the 93 car is what you'd be looking for for a 95? Yeah, I think so, mate. About $350. But I can see them starting to uh, head north price-wise as well. So if you haven't got it, good time to get it. Next car on my list is one that I have very mixed feelings about. And I'll tell you why. And you give me your take. 96, Craig Lowndes and Greg Murphy break through to win for the Mobile Holden Racing Team, the VR Commodore from the factory team. Bianchi made 3,000 of these. Classics have done 1650. Now, this is where using a mould, this is where the individual race teams, and you'd think all the Commodores are the same, virtually the same. But the car that won that year's race was completely different. The roll cage in that car was completely different to anything else in the field bar, the sister car from the Peter Brock 05 car. Remember it had that big diagonal bar that ran down through the, the front passenger seat it was called the Petty Bar, named after Richard Petty. It was part of making the chassis stiffer, and um, there was plenty of headlines about it at the time. And in fact, the magazines, I think it was Auto Action, described that car as supercar before we called the category V8 supercars. I wonder if someone in Tony Cochran's office had read that magazine and thought, right, that's what we're going to call them. But that's another topic for another day. But I understand that you've got to use the mould you've got. You can't make modifications to it. You'll never get your money back. It's not worth it. But to me, this car, it looks the part with the livery and the like, but unless it's got that big, huge bar through it, to me, that's not the 96 car, but I understand the limitations on what can be done. It's a bit of a frustrating one for me, though, because it's a special car and I'd love to have it in the collection, but I can't bring myself to spend the money on it when it doesn't look exactly as the the race car did. But I get why. Yeah, look, you being the guru, uh, that that stuff's going to really bother you. Uh, where I, I wouldn't have bloody known. 
but they're, they're the little things that we, we really hope that the, the manufacturers can do. And, um, and most of the time they can, they can do quite a few of those changes, but in some cases they've just got to, you know, sort of bite the bullet and just say, look, to make it, this is how we're going to have to do it. So, uh, yeah, look, it, it happens. We see it a little bit, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not something that um, I've ever heard anyone sort of bash on about un- un- until now, mate. So congratulations. <laughs> We're all going to hate it all now. Thanks for uh, that. No, no. Well, uh, it, it is the new clubhouse leader for this episode <laughs> because you're, you've got an $800 value on it. So clearly a lot of people haven't been perturbed by it. No, it's a, well, Lowndes, Murphy, you know, very popular guys. Great win. Um, Bianchi, yeah, originally produced 3000 which wasn't a lot. And, uh, and then Classics obviously did their version with uh, making 1,650. So that was one that, again, we saw the, the big bounce. We saw Bianchi's model, you know, pulling six $700. Classics car model came along. Bam, brings them back down. And now we've seen them shot back right up again. So uh, expect that one to stay where it is and uh, maybe even climb a little bit more. We covered off some of the Larry Perkins cars. Of course, he and Ingle won again in 97. So they did it in the odd years, 93, 95, 97. Uh, 3,300 made by Classic of the 97. Primus 1,000 winning Classic car as it was then. So about the same as the 95 car. 350 bucks. About a few less produced, but similar body shape. Obviously, the VR to the VS was really just the front air dam. Um, different. It's the same base car underneath. So... Uh, the collectors really haven't gone to troppo on that one. It's about the middle of the road. Yeah, that's right. And again, you know, just I think it was just a little bit overproduced and uh, sat on the shelves for a while. But again, I'm seeing that one starting to climb and uh, in a year's time, it, it could be a sort of full $5,500 model. Well, I think the thing that will help it too is we're doing a book on the Perkins cars, mate. So... Uh, Every car from Perkins Engineering, from the first NZ Commodore right through to the last Jack Daniels Commodore. So that covers off the the three Bathurst winners that we've mentioned here in the podcast today. Uh, We're working on it. Uh, It'll be out for Father's Day next year. And, of course, uh, Motor Focus customers, you can order your copy once the pre-orders open next year uh, via the Motor Focus website. So uh, keep pestering Dim and the team about when that's going to be open. Uh, Ford fans had had a bit of a rough run at Bathurst by the time they got to 98. And one since 94, uh, Jason Bright and Stephen Richards changed that in the Pertex Stone Brothers car. That was the debut of Stone Brothers Racing. They'd been pack leader Alan Jones Racing for the previous years. Remember that Alan Jones caught on fire, leading the race a few years earlier? Well, that actual car is the car that won two years later with Bright and Richards in 98 from 15th on the grid after Brighty crashed it in qualifying or in practice, and they patched it together and just got it out there in time uh, to do a couple of laps in qualifying. So this is one of those Bathurst winning cars that isn't at the front of everyone's mind when you think of classic Bathurst race cars. It falls in the, the cracks a little bit, which I think is good from a model point of view. Two and a half thousand, well, 2,502 produced. I'm not sure why the two, but anyway. Uh, certificate signed by Bridie and Steve Richards. Um, I would have thought this probably is worth a little bit more, but maybe it's got room to grow in, in the years to come. Yeah, look, it's a hell of a good model. Uh, Apex uh, produced that one quite a few years ago uh, in the die cast, uh, all opening parts, all that sort of stuff. 
So I agree. It's sort of a model that sort of sat there even once it sold out and never really gained a huge amount on the secondhand market. But, you know, we're certainly starting to see it creep up now and um, $400 is probably a fair price uh, at the moment. Steve Richards kept the winning going the next year. He'd been... In 98, he was actually driving in Britain. He was the test driver for the Nissan factory team in the British Touring Car Championship. Came back, did the Enduros, won Bathurst, and got a full-time drive with Fred Gibson's wins team. So he and Murphy won in 98 in the VT Commodore. But this is where two different models produced, one with high run, one with very low run, has really fluctuated the prices. But I think the other thing there is, it's the, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the classic version of that car was done virtually... It was in that very first run of V8 supercar models, wasn't it? That was one of those early ones. Yeah, you're pretty sharp there, Noons. Um, you're, not, you're not just the, the real car guru, are you? <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah. So, yeah, back in the day, Classic Collectibles, when they first entered sort of making the model cars, in their 118th scale, they produced um, a sealed body with pretty low detail and uh, they were making a stack of them. And an 8,000 run of this particular Bathurst winner was put into the marketplace. And uh, many years later, Bianti uh, were able to utilise the auto art uh, chain to do, to do their version of the 1999 winner. And uh, it had opening parts. Uh, and it was a, just a, a beautiful model compared to the classic collectible one of that day. So I do warn people if they are looking to buy a 1999 winner, just make sure you know what you're buying there. I've had a few people get the classic collectible one and be pretty disappointed. They thought they got a bargain. So around the 200 mark is what you'd pay for the classic collectible one. And uh, the beautiful Bianchi version, they made 2,000 of them and you should pay around the 600 mark at the moment. Okay, and the close of, well, close of the decade, rolled us into 2000, Sydney Olympics, Y2K. We thought the world was going to end on New Year's Day 2000, but it all just pressed on. And um, we had Bathurst in November in 2000, before this year's race. That was the last time I think it was, it was held in November. Uh, Barguana, Jason Barguana, Garth Tander, FAI 1000 winners for Gary Rogers Motorsport. VT Commodore, largely wet day, but it cooled, uh, it, uh, it dried out finally later in the day. It'd been a week's worth of rain at Bathurst. It was miserable all week leading up to that race. Bianchi, have, they punched out 4,200 of that model, which is surprising given it's not a HRT car or a Scaife or a Brock or a Lowndes. Uh, fairly decent quantity, but the, uh, the, the price seems to have held pretty well. And I do you reckon it helps because that is the only Valvoline GRM Bathurst winner? It's not like it's one of two or three different years like the Perkins Castrol cars. Do you reckon that's helped it hold its value because it is the GRM Bathurst winner and there's no others? Uh, look, I think, you know, the popularity of GRM definitely helps. Um, but if I go back in the time machine to when that model was made, it, it, it was released... I think they overproduced at the time and it sat at release price for many, many years, uh, possibly even, you know, for, for 10 or so years. Uh, I always wondered why that model wasn't sort of gaining in, in value. But 
as time goes by, we have seen it in the last couple of years become a, a harder model to find on the second-hand market, and that's going to affect your price. So it's taken a jump in the last, you know, three or four years. I've got one. It's going nowhere. It's staying in the VH Sleuth archives of Bathurst winning model cars. I haven't got them all, but I've got a fair chunk of them, and uh, I reckon uh, that one's going nowhere. Now, last episode of Fortnight ago, you covered off that to the point we'd worked to at that point, value of every Bathurst winning car to that point was about 17 grand. Um, you do the quick sums here on what we've got uh, for the 90s that we've covered up in this episode. We're well over 20 grand now if you've got a collection of all of these Bathurst winning models. And we've virtually got two decades left to go before we can put a final price on it all. So uh, there's some serious investment here uh, that's been made over the years, but some really good value that people who have bought cars because they were passionate at the time uh, stand to gain a good number if indeed they ever want to sell them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's the most collectible model in, in Australia, our Bathurst winners, and um, it's one we get to enjoy them and display them and, and, and have all that enjoyment, and, and there's value in that. But to know that your collection, you know, is holding its value or going up in value, it, it's an absolute bonus. And something that we, um, in some cases, people can tell their partners that they've gone up in value to, to justify their, their model collection. And uh, in some cases, you don't want them to know what they're worth too. <laughs> Drive them the other way, exactly. <laughs> We've seen a few collections in, in um, separation sort of situations and valuations and, and assets and all that. So, you know, the point is they are worth good money. Just don't get separated. Then you won't have to worry about any of that stuff. There you go. I'm here to fix all the problems. Uh, I mentioned just before we started that the two-litre Bathurst, the 97 and the 98 car, so the Diet Coke BMW of Jeff and David Brabham, the 98 winning Volvo S40 of Jimmy Richards, Rickard Rydell, really, if they ever get produced, it depends upon overseas producing that because clearly the market here, I think they would go well here though, mate. The... The super touring era is 20-odd years ago. There's a bit of rose-coloured glasses. It's a long time since people have seen those cars run. And I think it, absence makes the heart grow fonder. At the time, people who didn't care about them now go, oh, they weren't bad. They were pretty cool little jiggers. I think those two model cars, if you rolled them out on the market tomorrow, um, they're the only Bathurst-winning BMW and Volvo that exist. There wasn't other years that those brands won the race. Diet Coke's a standout, great-looking car. The Volvo was a ripping-looking car that started on pole, and Rickard Rydell did a 214.9 in a five-cylinder front-wheel drive, 300-horsepower Volvo to get pole, which is one of the best ever lap times, uh, single laps that anyone's seen. So do you reckon there's a chance ever that one of those brands overseas decides to do one, trying to cash in on the overseas market being the, the place where they'll move most of those? Because Bathurst has worldwide relevance and particularly in that two liter era and they'll sell a few into Australia as well as a bit of a bonus to make it all make sense. I, I think it's it's a no brainer for 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 them to get done in the future. Um, like you say, do we do we have to wait for a, a European company to push the button and then we piggyback? Um, I don't think we re necessarily need to if 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 we're happy to accept something like a resin model and and I think we are. You know, the, if we look at the, the Group C Nissan Bluebird that Authentics is doing, we've had huge orders for that. 
and uh, and that's a resin model. And and if that's the only way we can put it in our cabinet, oh, I think um, hit hit the go button. And uh, so you know, I think it will get done. Absolutely, it's just a matter of time. And uh, and and our our model makers sort of again, they can't make everything at once. So while they're concentrating on this production over here, they can't make this. So, yeah, look, we'll just keep putting the pressure on them and um, and, and for them it's, it's an opportunity and someone will take it sooner or later. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The The Bluebird example is a really good example of a, uh, a car that, well, if it's going to be made and that's the best way to, to make it, then if that's the only pathway, then, then let's do it. And I think that there would be a, an Aussie brand who would, uh, if they could get the, you know, they need to get a bit of uh, work done in terms of whether it be scanning cars or getting the, the associated data from them. Uh, but I think that it probably hubs better from an Australian company doing it here uh, and then exporting from here and becoming the, you know, reversing mm. what we were just talking about before and being the place where it starts. So I just wanted to cover off that before we finished up our, our secondhand market chat. Of course, don't forget to... Join the Motor Focus Collectors Club, 5% discount. So it's a no-brainer not to become a member and you'll be kept up to date on all the latest in uh, new models and what's arrived and what's on pre-order and what's coming. Um, And, of course, uh, motorfocus.com.au is the place to buy. But it's not just model cars. It's the figurines. It's the trophies. It's all the little knick-knack items that go with them that make people's collections really look the part. Uh, books as well, collectible prints, you've got it all rolling through there. Uh, Christmas is coming, we're what, a month away, uh, not even a month away. It's been one of those years where Christmas felt like it was never going to come this year for, for the way that the world was going, but it's just about right in front of our faces. We've got one more episode to go before Christmas. We will run another episode between Christmas and New Year, and then we're going to take a break for January and be back uh, February 2021 to talk more models. So there'll be quite a backload for us to go through there so Dimitri again a pleasure episode 14 of the Motor Focus Model Podcast is run and one at 15 will come up in a fortnight's time we'll chat to you then